0: Hello everyone, I'm Sara Pantuliano, the Chief Executive of ODI and I'm very happy to welcome so many of you online to today's webinar. It's jointly hosted by the Centre for Global Development and ODI. Well, we all know that low and middle income countries are facing multiple and prolonged crises rising energy bills, food insecurity, obviously the consequences of um, climate change, increasing debt payments and the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic, there is a lot at stake and we need all hands on deck. So I think we are all here today because we believe that multilateral development banks like the World Bank or regional development banks can be part of the solution. But many of us also feel that MDBs need reforming um, if they really are to play a more meaningful role in addressing this global crisis, both today and tomorrow. So if you fast forward to 2022 and after a year of intense work, intense consultations with, you know, MDB risk analysts, with treasurers, with shareholders, credit rating agencies, the expert panel group published its recommendations in July. The report recommends very specific actions, and I think these actions taken together really offer a roadmap. To expand the lending capacity of MDBs and of doing that without jeopardizing the triple A credit rating. I hope that all of you have read the report. And if you have read the report, you will see that there is a very clear timeline and a very clear set of recommendations. And their recommendations that are mutually reinforcing, but more importantly, recommendations that are actually, I feel, applicable, that's scalable that are adaptable to the requirements of individual MDPs. I mean, I was impressed by the fact that they offer really practical ideas for freeing up, or even better, for mobilizing new forms of capital, including counter-cyclical buffers, to really help MDPs manage risks going forward, especially in, in these uncertain times. And so today, we're really pleased to have with us the expert chair of the independent panel, um, Franny Liotier, who's also a trustee at ODI. Welcome, Franny. Um, but we also have three of the panel members, um, Hans-Peter Langs, is the professor in practice at the London School of Economics. Welcome, Hans. Um, Nancy Lee, senior policy fellow at the Center for Global Development, and Chris Humphrey, a senior research assistant um, at ODI. So together, Franny and the team will outline the scope of the expert panel, will tell us a little bit about the process you know, that um, was behind it, but most importantly, they will present and discuss the main recommendations of the report. I will then hand over to Masoud Ahmed, um, my co-host today, the president of CGD. Um, Masoud will moderate the panel discussion. And I'm really honored that four very distinguished discussants have accepted our invitation to join us today. Um, so I'm pleased to introduce Afsane Beshlos, the CEO of Rock Creek, welcome Afsane. Uh, Pak Wempi Saputra, the Assistant Minister of Finance for Macroeconomy and International fin- Finance of the Government of Indonesia. Um, Welcome, Paco MP. Um, Maria del Carmen Bonilla-Rodriguez, the Deputy Undersecretary for Public Credit of the Mexican Ministry for Finance and Public um, Credit. And soon uh, we'll also have Rajiv Shah, the President of Rockefeller Foundation, who is not online yet. So we have this fantastic group of discussants who will share their views on the recommendations of the independent panel report. they will help us reflect on the next steps for implementation of the recommendations set up by the expert panel we were just joking that it took nine Mm. months um, to produce the report you know it's it's been like a gestation of a baby but now all collectively need to help this baby start you know take its first steps and and walk and ideally run and it needs all of us to think how these steps can be um helped um, but most importantly, we'll open up the virtual floor for questions to the expert panel members, but also to the discussants. So that's where all of you in the online audience come in. You can type your questions anytime in the chat. Please do include your name and affiliation so we know who you are, and we can share that with the panel. And also specify if your question or your comment is directed to anyone in particular. And importantly, please help us amplify this discussion. We want more people to know what we're discussing today. We have 600 people registered online, but we want to go beyond that, even though that is a quite significant number. So do amplify the discussion on Twitter. The hashtag is ReformMDBs. Before hearing from the expert panel and our discussants, I would though like to introduce Francesca Utili. Francesca is the Director General of the Directorate for International Financial Relations at the Italian Treasury, um, and she will offer some initial remarks. Um, why Francesca? In 2021, the Italian government championed the debate On options for balance sheet optimization while they held the G20 presidency. It launched the independent review and it hosted the secretariat over the past year. So, Francesca, why a mandate to an independent panel to review the capital adequacy framework of MDPs?
1: Thank you, Sarah. And I'm very glad to have the opportunity of opening today's discussion. As you mentioned, MDBs are a powerful tool for development, and we must ensure that resources we have already committed as shareholders are used to their maximum impact, even more so during these turbulent and demanding times. That's why Italy has put great effort during its G20 presidency to secure consensus on launching this review. While it is routine for each MDB to review its capital-adequacy framework from time to time, This was the first time that such an exercise has taken place, looking at MDBs as a group to try to identify common issues and possibly shared lines of action to enhance their operational capacity beyond the legitimate call on donors. I would like to warmly thank the expert chair, Dr. Fran Lottier, and everybody in the panel for their work that went into producing the report. A lot of gratitude to the Secretariat, which was hosted by the Italian government, but was fully independent. We thank them for their coordination. The review is a solid foundation for the discussion that will shortly take place inside institution boards. I was glad to see the Indonesia G20 presidency embrace this work. And while each of us has views on specific recommendations, I know that there is much interest among the G20 membership and beyond in discussing this issue further. We are especially glad that the report made clear that this is a time to move past discussion to action. Implementation will require hard work by all parties. In order to make recommendations easily actionable, we support any conversation such as today's that could help enhance the visibility of the report and deepen comprehension of the potential way forward. I look forward to hearing the views of the discussion and pass the floor back to you, Sarah. Thanks.
0: Thank you very much, Francesca, for your remarks, but above all for the key contribution that the Italian government brought to this initiative and, of course, for steering the process. Well, let me hand over to Franni and to the other members of the expert panel who will talk more in detail about the process behind the report and, as I said, about the recommendations. We'll then go straight over to Masoud, who will moderate the panel discussion. Franni, over to you. Uh,
2: thank you very much, Sarah, and good day to everyone. It's fantastic to see you all and to see Francesca, who has really been supportive throughout the process of putting this uh, report together. And of course, uh, in the remarks earlier, Italy was critically launching the report, and I'm grateful also to Indonesia G20 presidency for that. I'll cover four quick areas. One is the rationale of why our panel. The second, how we approached the expert panel group, and then to look at how we structured our work, and then to give you an overview of the recommendations. Hans, Peter, Chris and Nancy will then elaborate uh, in specific areas of the work of the expert group. So the rationale, why a panel on capital adequacy framework? Francesca gave already a quick overview. And of course, in the early remarks, Sarah mentioned about the situation the world is facing uh, with unprecedented crisis. And we have historically relied on MDBs to make available the financing solutions that are needed to address such challenges in addition to their long-term development agenda. MDBs are unique institutions that are poorly understood by the financial markets, by the credit rating agencies, but also sometimes by those who are responsible for their governance. Despite having been founded in very similar ways with statutes that resemble each other, um, today the MDBs don't behave the same. They differ particularly in the way they set capital adequacy. MDBs are extremely cautious, partly because the shareholders expect them to be so that they can maintain their AAA or very high ratings. So how did we approach the work? We're very fortunate to have a diverse panel that brought a wide array of experiences and backgrounds. A good number of the panel members had actually worked in multiple MDBs and brought strong knowledge and experience of how the MDBs work. Another group had not worked at MDBs, but had actually spent quite a bit of time, many years researching MDBs. And finally, we had members of the panel who came from the private sector and are knowledgeable about how the private sector works with the MDBs. So we started from first principles, looking at MDBs today, but what could change in a way that would boost their capital adequacy, and how that would allow them to do more. So the third aspect, how did we organize ourselves? We organized into four work streams. The first work stream did the basic work of data collection. This was led by Betsy Nelson. And this is because data about the MDBs is not publicly available uh, to the extent that is needed to actually do independent analysis and form judgments. Furthermore, For the data that exists, it's not easily comparable across MDBs. So the second work stream focused on developing a benchmarking framework and understanding the benchmarking of 15 MDBs. This was led by Hans-Peter Lankes. A third work stream uh, was led by Chris Humphrey and Jens Ulrich. Chris is with us here today. And they looked at the credit rating agency methodologies and the differences between them and particularly the implication that has on MDB capital adequacy. And the fourth team led by Nancy Lee and Mike Muldoon looked at the potential financial innovations, whether they are those that create more headroom or those that can shift uh, risks to other entities. Hans, Peter, Chris and Nancy will elaborate on the main recommendations, but let me just outline them for you briefly. The first block of recommendations was around the role of shareholders, where in our report, we argue that shareholders need to do better by defining the risk appetite that each MDB should take. This is at present done by the risk teams, some of who pretty much follow what the credit rating agencies anticipate, and therefore end up being very cautious and conservative. Shareholders whose role is to give an indication or guidance of the risk appetite they should should take, that would really be helpful and would change the way risk appetite is defined today and the way risk teams work within those parameters which have a big impact on headroom. The second block of recommendations was around giving more credit to callable capital. Callable capital is a unique feature of MDBs. The MDBs are the only institutions with callable capital and they also have very strong preferred creditor status. These two features give them a lot of muscle and ability to do larger volumes of finance. The third block of recommendations is on innovations, particularly those that unlock headroom and transfer risk. And Nancy will provide more details, so I won't say much more about them here. The fourth block is around the credit rating agencies themselves, and the way they set methodology for rating MDBs. We were very surprised to see that if you were to raise headroom within an MDB, it will take you quite a while before you get downgraded by S&P. But just about an 11% increase knocks you off with Moody's and about 30 to 40% knocks you off with Fitch. Our panel didn't see any reason why these methodologies should yield such different results. The last recommendation block is around data governance, transparency, and the ability to really have a space in which these issues can be discussed and engaged with. Let me hand over to Hans-Peter to elaborate on the benchmarking exercise and the governance of MDB capital adequacy framework. Hans-Peter.
3: Thank you very much, uh, Franny. (coughs) Thank you to to Sarah and to uh, the whole team that organised this. Uh, I hope you can hear me well. So I'm going to uh, comment on uh, those aspects of the uh, terms of reference of our report that uh, deal with the benchmarking, looking across the institutions to get a a better sense of what capital adequacy actually is. Um, And the terms of reference uh, are quite uh, precise with respect to this. They ask um, the, the panel to evaluate capital adequacy frameworks in order to enable shareholders, MDBs and rating agencies to develop a consistent understanding of MDB capital adequacy frameworks. Such an understanding is fundamental for the governance of the public value for money involved. Shareholders need to understand the risks, but also the opportunity costs built into the capital adequacy frameworks in terms of the desired operational and strategy delivery. In our view, neither of these standards are fully met at present. Whereas commercial bank capital adequacy frameworks are anchored on the Basel standards and subject to expert regulation and supervision, the MDBs are shareholder governed and the managements of each MDB find their somewhat varying path through the triangle of credit rating agency methodologies, statutory rules and internal financial policies. Uh, In in the result, the methodologies, indicators and modeling approaches differ in ways that are not always very clear, which contributes to uncertainty. And perhaps as a result, there's evidence from the panel's work that MBBs are more prudent than required to preserve their AAA issuer ratings. Together, this can add up to significant unused headroom. There are unused credit rating agency ratings notches. There are buffers of the let's be extra safe variety in dealing with the uncertainty created by multiple and partly subjective credit rating agency methodologies. There's almost certainly a significant underestimation of the value of preferred credited treatment in the risk weights of MDB capital adequacy frameworks and in those of credit rating agencies. More generally, risk weightings by credit rating agencies and others do not seem to reflect actual granular credit risk evidence there are innovations successfully deployed by some mdbs but not others and we have the results of simulations with generic balance sheets that franny uh, just referred to also that the panel commissioned and would show lending headroom well within the AAA range to support shareholder governance but also to improve the quality of credit rating agency assessments and build a better understanding in the markets, there's a need for more knowledge, comparability, and transparency. And specifically, the panel makes four recommendations. First, on board capacity, in essence, to strengthen the financial expertise of MDB boards in line with standard Basel recommendations. These could be, for instance, independent non-voting members of board audit committees with financial expertise. Secondly, uh, around transparent benchmarking. And the recommendation there is to prepare a regular capital benchmarking report that presents MDB capital adequacy frameworks in a standardized format and with consistent definitions and metrics where possible and flagging the differences where not. The third recommendation is what we call around an enhanced arrangement. The recommendation is to create an MDB forum, a network or a center on financial best practices to collect and curate the benchmarking information and prepare joint reports on an arm's length basis for added credibility. But ensuring validation and agreement by each MDB It is important that such an arrangement involve not only chief risk officer networks, but also finance and strategy and crucially shareholders. Both risk and opportunity need to be in the mix in setting capital adequacy. Finally, um, a recommendation around data. That recommendation is for the G20 to endorse and give greater urgency to ongoing efforts to transform GEMS, which is a database that is collectively uh, maintained by the MDBs, transform it into a standalone entity with legal status and a secured budget. GEMS should curate and disseminate regularly supplied MDB statistics and analysis to support improved knowledge on emerging market risks for MDB's private investors and rating agencies. In closing, addressing these issues can improve the governance environment surrounding MDB capital adequacy, which is essential for the other recommendations in this report and for placing future discussions around MDB financial capacity on a firmer footing. It would support assessments by the rating agencies, and it would be positively received through data disclosure, harmonization, and standardization, in particular in order to assess the risks of investing with or alongside the MDBs. With this, back over to you, Masoud.
4: Uh, Should I just take the lead? I believe on yes. Why don't I just go ahead and do that? Thanks, Hans, Peter. Uh, I'm going to speak briefly today about the first two recommendations in our report, which deal fundamentally with the way that shareholders and MDBs evaluate the financial risks posed by MDB operations. And I'll also touch briefly on recommendation four, which considers how credit rating agencies evaluate MDB risk. Uh, All banks, of course, face financial risk. Uh, the most notable being uh, the risk of not getting repaid by your borrowers, uh, and that's the basis of the uh, Basel III standards and other types of capital adequacy approaches. Uh, but MDBs are very different from uh, commercial banks, uh, as has been noted by previous speakers, uh, and it is not appropriate for them to apply the same types of standards. Um, the risk parameters that MDBs face is are significantly different. And I'm going to speak about two aspects of uh, risk uh, that are unique to the MDBs, which we uh, believe have not been sufficiently taken into account in internal MDB uh, capital adequacy approaches or in uh, credit rating agency methodologies. And they're key elements to recommendations one, two, and four. Uh, The first uh, is preferred creditor treatment, which Hans-Peter just alluded to. Uh, Briefly put, the risk of uh, a borrower not repaying a loan Uh, is much, much lower at an MDB compared to a commercial bank, especially uh, for MDBs that lend to public sector borrowers. Uh, Borrowers basically almost always repay MDB loans on time. Uh, And when they, on the rare occasions when borrowers have fallen into arrears temporarily, uh, they always uh, come back uh, and repay the MDB in full. And that means that MDB uh, loan portfolios face very minimal financial losses. Uh, And we commissioned an external study to look at that uh, using MDB data, and the results are indeed quite dramatic about PCT, and we hope to be able to release that study publicly at at a certain point. Uh, MDBs and rating agencies do take PCT into account, uh, but we believe that they don't do so to the extent that the evidence indicates uh, would be appropriate. At the same time, MDBs have a special type of risk mitigation guarantee called callable capital. Uh, This amounts to over a trillion dollars at the MDBs uh, within our terms of reference, Uh, but no MDB uh, has ever even come close to needing to touch callable capital throughout all the global, regional, and national crises that have affected the developing world uh, since the Second World War. Uh, Credit rating agencies do give uh, benefit uh, to the additional financial security represented by callable capital. The way they do it uh, varies according to the three rating agency methodologies, and we think there could be some improvements there, uh, but they recognize that it does have uh, financial value as a guarantee instrument. Uh, MDBs, however, uh, do not assign any value to their own callable capital, uh, and we believe that they can and should. Uh, Callable capital is essentially a guarantee that covers the most extreme tail risk that an MDB could face. Uh, some type of massive shock event uh, that would leave them uh, unable to meet their own financial obligations. Uh, And by knowing that that portion, that extreme tail portion of risk is covered, uh, MDBs can then safely adjust the risk parameters within their capital adequacy frameworks uh, in a way that would unlock substantial lending headroom and would be in line with the approaches taken by credit rating agencies. Uh, Doing so would not in any meaningful way, increase the risk of callable capital actually being called. Uh, We commissioned uh, an external study on this issue, uh, and even taking conservative assumptions, uh, it's quite clear that the circumstances that would lead to a capital call are extraordinarily remote, Uh, something like a 10 standard deviation event. Uh, and The proposal that we have in recommendation two would not change that uh, in any significant sense, and that's quite important. Uh, because shareholders need to understand that in following recommendation two, they would not need to change the way that they provision for callable capital within their own national budgetary frameworks. Uh, Nor would uh, this proposal require any change to MDB statutes. Uh, We are not proposing that MDBs do anything different from what is already spelled out in the existing statutes. Uh, We're not proposing to take a portion of callable capital and deploy it as equity. Uh, It's not equity. Uh, it is rather a unique kind of guarantee uh, created by shareholders to give MDBs greater financial security. And we are simply suggesting that MDBs should take the existence of that guarantee into account as they set their risk tolerance thresholds. Uh, One of the major MDBs, the Inter-American Development Bank, already recognizes callable capital in their capital adequacy frameworks, uh, which indicates that it's perfectly feasible to do so without needing to change the statutes of the MDBs. Uh, To sum up, uh, the panel is of the view that the MDBs and shareholders uh, have been overestimating the financial risks posed by MDB operations uh, and underestimating the financial strengths of the unique MDB model. Uh, And The evidence this panel has examined has led us uh, to the conclusion that MDBs can prudently adjust their capital adequacy frameworks Uh, in a way that would unlock hundreds of billions of dollars in additional lending headroom without posing any financial threat uh, to MDB stability. Uh, This would also be within the parameters of a AAA bond rating, Uh, but we've also identified aspects of rating agency methodologies uh, that in our view do not sufficiently take into account uh, the unique financial strengths of the MDBs, and if they were to do so based on uh, empirical evidence, uh, that could unlock even more lending headroom. Uh, with that, I'll conclude and turn over, I believe, to Nancy Lee. Over to you, Nancy.
5: Thanks so much, Chris. Um, and I will cover uh, what we've grouped under um, recommendation three, which is a series of financial innovations to the MDB model that would increase available capital and therefore lending capacity. And so all of these measures augment and reinforce the steps that Hans-Peter and Chris have just described to manage risk more efficiently. The proposed innovations fall into three categories, freeing up space on MDB balance sheets through risk transfers, offering new forms of capital, and boosting MDB countercyclical capacity. Risk can be transferred to the private sector using insurance and securitization instruments that have uh, been proven over many years of operation. It can be transferred through donor guarantees, targeting more lending for urgent spending priorities, and such guarantees can be designed very efficiently with strong leverage and very limited need for paid-in donor resources, or through MEGA-MDB Partnerships, the Multilateral Insurance Guarantee Agency, part of the World Bank, has a lot of room for more exposure. It has powerful insurance products. It has very good access to reinsurance products. It has the ability to work with other MDBs beyond the World Bank, and it has a globally diversified portfolio. And all these make it possible for MEGA to take risk off MDB balance sheets at the portfolio level and at scale. MDBs can also offer non-voting hybrid capital investments that would be very attractive, safe assets for investments in SDGs and uh, ESG-related activities um, that would be very attractive to institutional and other large-scale investors. And finally, to boost counter-cyclical capacity, shareholders can pool commitments to furnish additional callable capital during crises or periods of systemic shocks. We need agile, more flexible ways to support MDB lending surges rather than relying only on general capital increases, which are processes that take considerable time. Now, these innovations were selected by the panel because they share the following characteristics. They are all scalable and adaptable to the circumstances of individual MDBs. Because they're scalable, their impact on lending will grow over time. They offer broader development and environmental gains than simply expanding MDB lending capacity. They do not require changes in MDB articles of agreement. They do not change MDB shareholding structures or governance, and therefore shareholders retain control over how the additional lending capacity is deployed. And they have all been piloted by one or more of the MDBs so far. And taken together, they have major strategic benefits and they adapt the MDB model to better meet evolving needs and opportunities, they help MDBs do a better job of creating investment opportunities for the private sector and mobilizing more private finance. They allow MDBs to focus more on their comparative advantage, which is investment origination. They can accelerate portfolio shifts shifts to respond to changing priorities, including transformation to greener portfolios. And through greater transparency, uh, as as uh, Chris and Franny and um, Hans-Peter have already mentioned, on MDB credit performance, they can make and build markets simply by lowering risk perceptions about SDG investments. And as other, others have said, this is important not only for private investors, but it's important for the credit rating agencies themselves and how they incorporate that data into their methodologies. Two caveats are important. Innovations must be pursued in ways that do not lower MDB risk tolerance or divert them from development missions, but we believe that is entirely possible. And innovations should not be seen as substitutes for general capital increases. In fact, the logic should be seen as working the other way around. More productive use of capital strengthens the case for more capital. Uh, Let me close with the fundamental point. Shareholders as stewards of taxpayer funds are just as responsible for capital efficiency as they are for prudent use of capital. The MDBs do very well on prudent, prudent capital management as Hans, Peter, and Chris have said. They can do better on capital efficiency and we can ill afford underutilized capital in the current global circumstances. So this is really about making a proven proven model much more powerful. Thanks, and let me now turn to uh, Masood who will launch the uh, discussion among our panelists.
6: Thank you very much, uh, Sarah. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Hans-Peter and Chris. Uh, and thank you very much, uh, Franny, for getting us started. So I think you've, you've laid out very nicely now the uh, main elements of this report, and so now we're going to go to the next phase, which is a conversation amongst uh, uh, leaders in development finance. And, and uh, as Sarah said, we've got both Sane Beshtos, and Raj has joined us also, and we have two country representatives who've been very active uh, in the in the debate. Uh, we have Marietta Carmen, and we also have. Uh, Uh, Pakwempe from Indonesia. So we're going to get all those perspectives. And and the key issue really in all of this is uh, we want to get more capacity to lend from better, more efficient use of the capital that MDBs have. And we want to do so in a way that doesn't weaken the fundamental strength that they've had, which is a credit rating and a, a, a financial solidity that has been the basis of the successful model that's worked so well over so many years. It's a question of getting the right balance. And and the, what I want to use the next half an hour to do is to explore a bit more how we can get that balance right. So the report, the the, the presenters so far have, have made a case that there's scope to do more uh, and now, uh, let's hear from the other uh, panelists on, on how they see it. And I want to start by turning to you, Pak Rempe, because uh, Indonesia is the chair of the G20. Uh, you've been instrumental in, in the discussions so far. You've had some discussions within the G20 uh, to this uh, report uh, when it was presented to you. So I want to get uh, your sense of both how the g20 membership sees the opportunities to take forward these recommendations and how indonesia has a, a major emerging market which has had a long relationship with the mdbs how do you yourself also see the opportunities what do you think is good about it but also if you have any concerns this is a, a good opportunity to share some of those concerns. So if I might turn to you first. Thank you, Mansud.
7: Uh, let me thank for the invitation to participate in this webinar and to share the perspective of the Indonesian G20 presidency on the recently completed CAF review. Uh, the Indonesian presidency has fully supportive on the CAF review and strongly welcomed uh, the final report by uh, Dr. Frani Luthier and her independent panel of experts. As we have discussed today, the final report represents the combinations of collective efforts that have spanned both the Italian G20 presidency in 2021 and now under Indonesian presidency. We see that the effective continuity between presidencies illustrates how the G20 is able to pursue multi-year objectives effectively And I would like to thank my Italian colleagues for the support on the CAF review during our presidency. Let me share with you G20 members' reaction to the CAF review. As we have heard today, the final report identifies a clear set of tangible recommendations that meet the objectives for the CAF review set by the G20 in 2021. The recommendations are wide in scope and some would require more time and coordination to implement than others. Members note that while the G20 plays a key role in maintaining the political momentum, most notably regarding the recommendation that would benefit from a coordinated approach among MDBs, they highlight the fact that most of the recommendation have to be discussed with MDB governance bodies, including among MDB shareholders, capital, and executive directors of MDB boards. On the recommendation number one, Redefine the approach to risk appetite in capital advocacy frameworks. In this case, members, uh, uh, we see that although a vast majority of members support the recommendation, many recall the necessity to maintain robust MDB credit etchings, as previously indicated by uh, speakers, which can impact funding costs. Some mentioning specifically the preservation of AAA rating. Most members support recommendations, especially on 1A, 1B, and also 1C in this case. On the recommendation number two, we observe that members have mixed views on this recommendation, with many needing further analysis to have a clear understanding of its implications, as well as what would be the appropriate share of callable capital, and what is the risk of this capital to be called. On the recommendation number three, we see that members welcome the focus on innovations. Some highlighted the need for appropriate risk management and to take into consideration the cost or complexity of implementation, while also being mindful that the higher MDB financing volumes and made possible by these innovations may be accompanied by higher pricing in some instances. There is a wide support for recommendation 3B this is regarding portfolio risk transfer to private sector, and 3E, on adoption of MIGAS products and reinsurance capability. We see also many, most countries express a reservation on the feasibility of recommendation 3F. This is regarding private access to central bank liquidity due to legal and prudential constraints. Views are also more mixed regarding recommendation 3A on non floating capital increases, with concern regarding the potential influence of non sovereign contributors and recommendation 3D on pools of additional callable capital with concern regarding the legal consent and threat to AAA ratings. On the recommendation number four, there is strong support for a strengthened communication with accrediting agencies while respecting the bilateral relationship between CRAs and each MDB, as well as the independence of the CRAs. Some members welcome the focus on ESG methodologies, but some expect reservations, noting that decision about resource allocation should remain with each institution's board. Some members also highlighted the greater transparency and, and access to MDBs data, as well as an increased standardization of CAF disclosures and methodologies could help CRAs to better analyze the strength of MDBs. Lastly, on the recommendation number five, members widely supported recommendations 5B and 5C. This is regarding yearly capital benchmarking report and enhanced dialogue and cooperation. Most members also agreed with recommendation 5A, ability to of shareholders to set parameters of capital advocacy policies, although a few members indicated express reservations towards the option of incorporating external experts in the board. Most members supported an enhanced platform and transparency for global, economy, for global emerging markets data to strengthen understanding of MDB credits performance, including by CRAs and investors. A few members highlighted the need to pay attention to confidentiality considerations and ensure appropriate process and controls. Let me stop here and over
6: to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Pak Kwampi. So what, I think those are very useful comments you've just made. And once we've had a round of uh, reactions from our panelists, I want to come back to Franny to to react to some of the points that you've just made and, and that I uh, hope and expect some of the other panelists will also raise. Uh, questions. So let me turn now to afsane, uh, afsane Beschloss, and Afsane, I think most people in your current life know you as somebody who's been very active in, in the private sector and sustainable investing, but of course you were also, in an earlier incarnation, the treasurer at the World Bank, and uh, I also remember the days when, when you and I used to work together on on innovations in some of the bank's policies, in, in particularly in the areas relating to energy, which is, uh, again, back uh, very much in the highlight. So you've seen the report. Uh, you understand where the markets are right now. What I want to get a little bit from you is your sense of how much do you see as there being scope for the MDBs? To be able to do more with their existing capital, using some of the ideas in the recommendations that are in this report, without uh, risking their financial strength in ways that would be deleterious for for the system as a whole. So, well, what's your take on this, some
8: Masoud, thank you so much, Um, and thanks to CGD and ODI, of course, for doing this work and to Franny and the whole panel for a very, very thoughtful uh, set of recommendations, very, very practical recommendations. And uh, Masoud, as you said, um, I had the advantage of having been World Bank treasurer, so I have sat down with some of the rating agencies that we we were just talking about and and, uh, was going to share some thoughts. But before I do that, if I could, the point that I think Franny made and you have made um, and and, uh, Laura and others have made, I think Sarah said it in the very, very beginning of uh, of this session is the needs are in the trillions. We have had all of us gone to so many conferences about millions to billions to trillions. So this particular set of uh, conversations are very important. And I just wanted to uh, put the numbers of, and I'll take one MDB, the World Bank, in perspective. The um, existing uh, outstanding loans of the World Bank today are about 227 billion, according to their latest reports. Commitments uh, in, uh, let's say, last year, again based on the reports that I could find out, showed net disbursements of 15 billion. Um, so when we look at these numbers and we put it in perspective, if you looked at uh, capital markets. Again, uh, if you looked at IIF, uh, the Institute of um, uh, Finance, what they showed is eight trillion of bonds were issued last year by emerging markets. Outstanding debt of emerging markets is more than thirty trillion. So when we're looking at the MDBs, if we put together the numbers all together, obviously it will be more than just the IBRD numbers I just quoted. But the needs are very big, which takes us to sort of how important these recommendations are at this time. Um, so going to the recommendations one, four and five, I'm sort of bunching them together a little bit in a way that I was looking at them. And I was trying to channel Gene Rothberg. Some of you may know Gene Rotberg is the legendary t- treasurer of the World Bank, who's responsible for this famous AAA rating of the bank. And we just had a big get-together of people who had worked in the whole finance area at the bank over the last 50 years, believe it or not, and, um, and had some of the conversations. And we're going to continue having some more conversations, which I'd love to sort of bring them into the conversations that we're having today. So number one, what if you channel Gene, he would say, don't give up the AAA rating uh, easily, keep it. Uh, but use it. And I think a lot of the points that were made earlier, Hans-Peter also mentioned them, um, really, really important to look in detail. If, for example, we use the AAA rating, how can we at the same time mobilize more resources? If we were, and I'm not suggesting it, if, you know, there's been conversations of, you know, why not go to AA rating? It only increases um Funding cost by 20 basis points. Be very, very detail oriented on what else might get lost apart from costs, and what, on the other side, we could borrow more or or um, or be able to um, to uh, to access other markets. So I think that is really, really important. One of the other points that was made was the huge difference uh, in the way that the three rating agencies approach ratings. I think it's time that we go back to the rating agencies, as you've suggested, and sit down with them. And one of the things I used to do as treasurer, and previous treasurers to me did the same thing, and I know others have done this, which is you sit down and spend time with the analysts who look at the bank's numbers. You look at the you know people responsible for the bank's r- ratings, but you go all the way up the food chain to the people who are running the rating agencies. And we used to have a lot of hard discussions around numbers and ratios, and we used to have soft conversations with these rating agencies at the highest level also in terms of getting them to understand the risks. And one of the things, again, that uh, you mentioned, the gems and the granular information and the credit data, if it exists, it's there for a reason. And um, these institutions are always teaching the value of transparency. So let's get those numbers out there. My only suggestion is don't create another organization. There is enough bureaucracy in the world, so let's see how we can take this data and provide it to the rating agencies so that they could, in a better and more granular way, look at the risks. And as you said, the the preferred credit status of the bank and and other multilaterals has been a very, very important part of of their uh, toolkits. So how do you use that at the same time as you go in to get um, a better get them to have a better understanding today of the risks? Uh, one or two other points that I just uh, wanted to mention is, again, um, a lot of these multilaterals have been ahead in terms of how they used financial innovation over time. The World Bank, first global bond, first green bond. First user of derivative swaps, in fact, helped create ISDA. So uh, first user of Bloomberg machines, I'm told that Mike Bloomberg used to come and train people there. Um, and so at least that's the folklore. So the point is, again, as Rani said, there is a lot of room for innovation today. And we're using some of the tools today that, um, that we used 20, 30, 40 years ago. And what are the new tools that could get used? And I think um, the leverage ratio, again, in most financial institutions, when you have a bigger crisis like, you know, um, we did just now with the pandemic, but we've had in the past, and that's the reason for the existence of many of these institutions, can you take your leverage up to eight versus 4.5? And why, do you, why not do that, again, as you said, uh, within the statutes? So, so leverage can be managed in a more dynamic way rather than in a static way. Um, I wanted to just touch on um, on also the recommendation to on the callable capital and capital adequacy, because I think th- there is a question some of us were talking about, and I would love to know, I know that some of you have read the statutes in greater detail, uh, but also we should go back to the US Treasury. Some people would say that up to about close to seven billion of the callable capital is really up to the treasury secretary without having to go to the Congress for any kind of um, permissioning authorization or appropriation or anything like that to access. And we heard, you know, you don't, you know, callable capital is a very, very important part of the innovation in the way that the the World Bank was created. But how could you use this 7 billion potentially, um, maybe in a different way, But at least um, go back to the other countries. And if you sort of use that number, 7 billion, and you looked at that's about 15 percent of U.S. share, and you ask the other countries to look at it the same way, maybe without um, any kind of new permissioning, you could access 40 billion of callable capital in a different way. And it might be worthwhile taking a look at that. Um, The... Last point I wanted to say is there are two or three points that the report has not looked at and that are really, really, um, I would say, um, easy. Uh, Masood mentioned he and I worked on the energy side and we were early on doing uh, clean energy and... What I found at that point is for every dollar that I would go, let's find uh, find for a, a natural gas project or for a solar project or for other kinds of projects, we would mobilize $10 from the private sector. This is without innovations. This is without any of the, um, you know, using World Bank creditor, uh, preferred creditor, or giving any guarantees. This was the ha- what we call the halo effect that the multilaterals have. And that halo effect could... St- get used in a very different way today for every dollar only 23 or 30 cents gets mobilized from the private sector so that is a very underutilized um, tool that could get used and then last but not least as some of you may remember when we created ifim with you know with the world bank treasury and as part of gavi um, and then there was the uh, climate fund that was created you can also have these other institutions created that have today's uh, financial tools so that they are not limited by some of the things that limit the multilaterals today. And we could help mobilize in a very, very different way. And some of the questions that have been posed on how hard it is to securitize, uh, which Nancy alluded to, uh, could be then sidestepped with these kinds of uh, tools. So let's think about creating sort of a set of financial intermediaries within these financial institutions and take advantage of some of the existing models. Let me stop there, Masood, and I know there's a lot of other comments.
6: Thank you so much, Afsani, and and thank you for those very practical suggestions as well as uh, the bigger picture point you were making at the beginning about how when you were a treasurer at the World Bank, the way in which one engages with rating agencies has to reflect both the sort of very specific down-to-earth practical conversations on numbers, but also a, a common understanding of the nature of the business model and the risk. And I'm sure that your successors have been doing some of that. But in the changing world, there's a need for, for enhanced discussions of that kind. So we'll come back to that. Um, I want to turn to Raj now, if I may. And, and Raj, please say, look, the Rockefeller Foundation has really been very interested in the subject and in and in this work and 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 I thank you for the fact that you've actually been supporting some of the the work of of this uh, uh, group of experts. But you've also the foundation, and I think you personally have been a leader in driving innovation more broadly to meet the global global challenges that we face. And so I see this as one example of the kinds of innovation that could help us to meet some of those broader challenges. And I want to get a bit your sense of, you know, having seen this, having watched the work uh, unfold, being very well uh, aware of the context within which this work is uh, now being presented, how do you see the, the scope for capitalizing on this work and also the way forward. I mean, do are you worried about the the way forward on this, or are you feeling this is now done and dusted? It's it's ready to go. We just have to put it into place. So, a little bit of your perspective, Raj, would be fantastic.
9: Well, thank you, Masood, for your extraordinary leadership and tremendous credibility that you bring to this work. And Nancy, I I, I also thank you for your uh, leadership in this important area. I'd like to point out that Afsani is a trustee of the Rockefeller Foundation. And so I, I fully associate myself with, with all of her extraordinary and well-informed insights. And uh, thank you, Afsani, for your service in that capacity, in addition to so many other great roles you play. Uh, and I and I also recognize from our other colleagues, especially from Indonesia, we really value the you know, understanding of how shareholders come together to process all of this relatively complex uh, set of recommendations. I guess I'd like to make uh, just a few points. One one is on need, one is on the solutions, and one is on the political opportunity we have together. The first is on need. Uh, and I think the report does an excellent job of this. And I'm sure Franny will describe it in more detail. But we have to be clear, as Afsani has said that the need is in the trillions. And it is a function of a series of crises that are global crises that are not of the making of lesser developed nations or emerging economies. Uh, COVID, the inequitable response to COVID, the subsequent uh, run up in prices on a global basis and interest rates uh, increases as a result, uh, climate vulnerability. These are crises that are not of the making of uh, the emerging economies in question here. But they are, in fact, the ones that bear the brunt of the cost related to it. We also have to recognize that this need comes in part from a lot of stagnation in global development financing over the last decade. Uh, We have since the Copenhagen COP been talking about significant net transfers of support to help countries adapt to the new climate realities. And effectively, we haven't met those commitments for now more than a decade. So in reality, what is at stake is actually quite considerable. When when Bill Gates talks about the the backtracking on the sustainable development goals, as you see in the new goalkeepers report, it is clear that we are facing a decade of growth in uh, emerging and lesser developed economies that, in fact, is not going to be robust enough to support real SDG progress and real convergence in terms of human development outcomes without some major intervention and so then the question is are we willing to just allow ourselves to unwind decades of progress or will there be a series of major interventions that could actually meet the scale billions to trillions that we're talking about here and that's where the solutions proposed in this particular report contribute in an important way to the dialogue first i think we have to recognize on the solution side that we need a strong, supported, and expanded multilateral development banking system. It is the only system we have for uh, collecting, leveraging, and pooling global development and global climate response commitments from OECD economies and projecting them more broadly through the rest of the world. And I think while the framing of World Bank's numbers that uh, Afsani provided is pretty important to understand. At the end of the day, we just need a stronger system. We need a system that is more agile, that is providing products and services and uh, loan products in particular that are more attractive in practice to their clients and that is funded and supported at a higher level over time. And so, so that's an important part of the solution set. Another important part of the solution set is in fact uh, exploring the innovations and ability to use the AAA rating, maintain the AAA rating, but use it as aggressively as possible to meet the moment we're in, uh, because this moment is in fact different than prior ones. This is a, you know, this is a moment of real overlapping crises—food, fuel, and debt—and if we don't meet that moment, we're going to face a catastrophe. We haven't talked as much here because the report is less about this topic, but. That also has to work in concert, a much expanded MDB system has to work in concert with a a longer term horizon on what debt sustainability looks like, and how we calculate debt sustainability and how we project, and how the IMF projects debt sustainability frameworks. And I know there's a lot of work being done to think that through by uh, outstanding leaders, including yourself, but those two concepts probably go hand in hand, and that's important. A final contribution on the solution side is just embracing innovation and public-private innovation as much as possible. I So glad to hear reference to the IFF uh, for immunization. I know next week they're launching an IFF for education. I'm excited about that. We last year were able to bring partners together and launch a global energy alliance for people and planet where we can intermingle about a billion and a half dollars of philanthropic resources from Rockefeller, IKEA, and Bezos alongside uh, more than $10 billion of commitments from DFIs and MDBs to try to make renewable energy much more accessible and much more affordable throughout uh, lesser developed nations and and nations that house a high proportion of energy poverty around the world. Those are the types of innovations we should really be pushing and investing in and and investing more effort in. But before I turn this back to you, I, I do wanna point out that this is a unique political moment And uh, the next 18 months after next week's global fund replenishment is really the first time in a while that we're not going to have a major kind of global health or global development replenishment round for for Gavi, for the global fund, for some of the other instruments. Um, What that means is there will actually be political space in the next 18 to 24 months to explore organize ourselves around some of these solutions and, and work with advocacy partners to make sure that the world's treasuries and finance ministries embrace a more robust role for the multilateral architecture in the coming decade. Um, it's been a while since we've had that opportunity. I'd I posit that we need to organize ourselves, speak with one voice and make sure that in the next 18 to 24 months, we sort of get that done Because this is the window when we can concentrate on this crisis, see this crisis as an opportunity to rethink the kind of multilateral development architecture we need for the decades ahead and put that in place in in smart and cost efficient ways that are fundamentally more leveraged and fundamentally more public private so Uh, With that, I look forward to uh, learning from others on this uh, extraordinary panel, and I just implore us all to find ways to work together over the next 18 to 24 months to get this done.
6: Thank you very much, Raj, and thank you for uh, giving us that very uh, precise and very immediate window that lies ahead to be able to make progress. And and that does actually take us into the next part of the conversation about how do we mobilize uh, ourselves to be able to, to make that progress. And and also in the interest of full disclosure, uh, I should add uh, to the point you made about Afsaneh being a trustee of the Rockefeller Foundation, that, that she's also on the board for the Center for Global Development. So of course, everything we say is is uh, aligned entirely uh, with that too. Let, let me turn now to Maria del Carmen vanila uh, Maria, uh, I want to get, ask you a little bit the same question that I started with Pacwampi. You know, as a major emerging markets, you watch this conversation about how the MDBs could be able to expand their capacity to to lend more by using their capital more effectively. The The MDBs have become less important for middle-income emerging markets over the last couple of decades in terms of how much they rely on them compared to other sources of finance that you deploy, um, your own and your access to private capital markets. So when you uh, listen to the conversation we've just had, when you read the report, I want to ask you two questions. One, you know, do you think this is uh, these are you think about this favorably as recommendations that will help us to advance, or do you have concerns about it? And secondly, um, how important is all this to you anyways? I mean, do you sort of say, yeah, well, this is all very interesting, but this is a side show for us, or do you say, actually, this could be quite significant for countries like Mexico and, and we should be engaged in this debate and try to help shape it. So so your thoughts would be fantastic.
10: Thank you, Masul, and, uh, and, and congratulations on, on, the, on the report uh, and, of course, for, for the invitation in, in this panel. Those are very interesting questions. Of course, uh, we, we think that the, the, the report, uh, Mexico supports it, uh, and we think it's extremely useful, especially uh, regarding the implementation of new financial tools and uh, the adaptation and the methodologies of the written agencies uh, that could potentially strengthen uh, transparency measures. As, me- as mentioned previously, um, I think it's very uh, important uh, on the risk management and capital adequacy perspective uh, to have full visibility, and that is why statistics and back testing is so important uh, to completely understand in a more granular way uh, the current situation and uh, considering that the, 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 the transition and the, uh, and the new climate initiatives uh, are, are uh, uh, closer to trillions and billions, it's going to be very important as well to start incorporating uh, physical and transition risks. Um, I know this is a very first step. Uh, but of course, uh, the, the best the data is uh, going forward, it would be uh, much easier to understand what are the underlying risks uh, for, for, for this type of, um, of structures and, and, and new, uh, new innova- innovations, sorry, and innovations uh, regarding the, the MDB uh, 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 new policy or new 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 views on this one. Uh, regarding your second question, uh, I think for us it's extremely useful because uh, we we agree that uh, uh, a government itself cannot uh, deploy enough money, even though they could have access to the uh, international markets, and and this has more to do with uh, with and also um, talking about MD, MDBs, uh, uh, the balance sheets are contained. Because of capital, right? So we need to look for smarter ways to try to put together a a different approach uh, in order to uh, potentiate and uh, uh, reach this halo effect or multiplier effect. Uh, for deploying not only uh, capital for public uh, investment, but also for private investment. And uh, in this sense, we do think that uh, these recommendations would be very useful because uh, we think that warranties can uh, be a way to to, to potentiate or to increase the the resources, uh, especially on public-private partnerships. Uh, and we do think that Mega has a very interesting opportunity going forward uh, to 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 make this happen, and and also uh, it's going to be another source of uh, uh, risk mitigation because it's a, a way as as well to 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 transfer these risks. Uh, we do think that uh, 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 an important or a, or a potential way to address it is um, uh, using uh, SPVs, um, uh, because you fence the cash flows of the, um, of the of the of the of the, the projects, especially when there are very uh, long-term projects. Uh, and uh, securitization security uh, station in, in that cases, at least in Mexican experience, uh, are proven to, to work pretty, pretty well. So uh, um, I think that uh, another, another important things to consider are the cost of the tool in the financial uh, balance sheet on the project. Um, uh, let's say um, risk transfers rates Uh, And also uh, the most important and underlying thing is uh, the capital and credit rating of of the agency. So having a standardization would also be be really, really really helpful. Um, And I think that's pretty much it. Uh, Thank you very much and get back to you.
6: Thank you very much, uh, Maria. Uh, And and thanks for that that point that you just made. Uh, I want to come back to Franny, if I may, at this point, and I want to say to Franny, you've heard so what the panelists have have been saying, and and if you have any reactions to that. But can I also pose um, two other questions to you first? Uh, the first one is that one of the things that you and the other members of the expert panel have been stressing in various fora is the importance of looking at all of these recommendations as a, a package rather than as a smorgasbord. You know, you, so you you're saying don't pick and choose and do a few things. You've got to think of all of these together. And and I've also heard some of the shareholders push back a bit to say, well, some of these things are more easily done than others. We don't need to get too rigid about this being a uh, all or nothing proposition. So I want to get a little bit of your sense on that that discussion. Is it all you know how much does it have to be everything together, or can you start with a few things that are easier or maybe uh, simpler? Mm-hmm. And the second is a little bit more um, difficult question, but but say what you can about it, uh, which is that I think it's fair to say that, your report has not been welcomed with open arms and enthusiasm by the by the uh, MGB community. I mean, some things they, they they see the objective, they see the needs, but they probably see more of the risks uh, that are associated with all of this. And maybe some of them think that the panel has underestimated some of the of the risks uh, uh, and. Uh, um, I want to get a little bit your sense of how would you respond to that sense of concern of people thinking you know this is a group of people who've sort of come out with these things they really don't understand the 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 risks and the the genie the genius if you like of the of the model that exists and and we're going to put it all at risk to to try and move forward and it may not work so uh, say what you can about the second, and we'd love to hear your views on the on the two questions, but also on the points that have been made by our our panelists.
2: Uh, thank you very much, Masoud. I think uh, I am I'm very happy to hear what the panelists have said because it it does show that our report is beginning to have the kind of impact that we thought it would, which is number one to create dialogue, number two to create movement towards transformation. And number three, to present an opportunity where people who have done these kind of things before, either within MDBs, uh, as Afsane has done and yourself, or in philanthropy and the private sector, as has Raj uh, uh, himself done, or within government, as we've heard from Pak Wempe and from Maria, that these together uh, bring an important uh, set of experiences that could actually help implement the recommendations that we have made. So I'm very grateful to the panelists for bringing up these issues, and especially also for highlighting that this is an unusual moment, not only because of the demands on the MDBs to do more given where the world is, but also, and I think Raj, I had not noted that, that the political window is quite unique in terms of going out there and doing big things, because there is sort of a gap in between us going to look for funding for, for other priorities. So those I think were extremely welcome uh, uh, comments. Now on your two questions, I'll start with the first one on why did we as a panel come and say that it's best when you look at these as a package rather than picking and choosing uh, from a menu or a smorgasbord, as you've said. And it really comes from the analysis that we have done. And we'll be having a discussion on those deeper analytical papers uh, in the coming weeks. But it shows that actually when you take these recommendations apart and you do some of them, but not all, you won't get the big bang of impact in the boosting of investing capacity that we're looking for. So yes, you will get some results, but they won't be at the level and scale that is important to solve the problems that we are facing. And I think this is where, as a panel, we came up very strongly saying they're actually interrelated or interconnected. So for example, if you take the risk appetite one, without shifting the definition of risk appetite and the, the tolerance levels of risk appetite, and then at looking at the way you define and shape risk appetite in a dynamic way, you won't be able to boost investing capacity. So that's a hard limit. And, and, and then of course, if you, if, you, if, you are, if you don't touch callable capital opportunities at all, it will be quite limited what one can do but then there is a big boost you could get out of that by looking at innovations. And Hafs- Afsaneh, I really liked your reference to this old ratio, which when I was at the World Bank, that's the ratio we're talking about, $1 for 10 and it's now gone to $1 for $0.23. Cents. So why? What can we do to bring it back to 10 and maybe leverage it even further? And I think that goes then to the heart of recommendations three and four because four is how the credit rating agencies look at the MDBs. And therefore, if you could get them to better understand how the MDBs function, uh, Chris mentioned earlier that we, we, from our analytical work, we're able to show that they undervalue preferred creditor terms or preferred creditor status. So can you boost that feature more? Uh, it's the same thing of how do you really leverage and use AAA rating more? If you have AAA plus PCT, you're golden and nobody else out there in the market has those two features in quite the same way as MDBs. So this is why we, 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 we thought that if you look at them as a package, you actually can get uh, much bigger volumes than if you pick them apart. But we also recognize, and that's why we've put in our report, the complexity of implementation. And here I would agree completely with those who say that they're not all the same. Some of these recommendations are easy to do, others are quite hard and they do require internal discussions, trade-offs, and, 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 and really thinking through different elements within each MDB given their unique geography, their unique shareholding structure, and their unique uh, status in terms of their portfolio, and the risks that they're carrying. So I think uh, that's how we as a panel ended in uh, making that argument. On your second question, on uh, the um, uh, response from the MDBs, I think it comes from three different uh, dimensions from my point of view. Uh, First, I believe it's quite difficult for MDBs who are doing reasonably well to basically uh, uh, consider doing things otherwise. And I think it's because there is fear that if you lose ratings, AAA ratings, like the African Development Bank lost it, it had to work really, really hard to get it back. So I think there is sort of fear in the DNA of the the risk teams that you don't want ever to lose it because it's hard to get it back. So I think that is one limitation. And of course, we've gone to uh, extreme lengths to show that if you change some of the ways in which the rating agencies understand the MDBs, then you could do a lot of things without getting knocked off the AAA uh, uh, status. Uh, the second reason I believe is uh, because there is, uh, it's going to re- require a shift in the way MDBs define capital adequacy and in the way they manage, and having it be more of a dynamic thing than a static thing. And that usually causes some kind of tension because people uh, who are used to functioning in one way would have to think about functioning in another way. And I think that may be another reason for the reaction, maybe to have time to think about it a little bit more and to have their own uh, analysis uh, uh, to to look into why uh, it'd be important to do things differently. But I think the third reason, and here is where I would say there is a bigger uh, uh, opportunity for the MDBs. It is very rare that MDBs work collectively together but when they do, they move really big things. And I think this this fear of it wasn't invented here, if somebody has innovated and we see the results, maybe we, we need to think about it differently and re-innovate within our own borders. Uh, and, and, and that's something that we found again, when you read our report, we have been very careful to highlight for each of the recommendations, whether any MDB has done it before and if they have, what results did they achieve and what did they need to shift to get there? So for example, on callable capital, we found that the Inter-American Development Bank has implemented some elements of what we're recommending and it did not require them to change the statutes. So the reaction from the MDB is saying, well, we have to change the statutes in order to, to undertake these recommendations. We have proof that it can be done without uh, that. And I think Afsana you mentioned also that up to seven billion dollar changes are within the purview of the Treasury Secretary. So within most economies around the world, we looked at it, uh, there there is no need for changes in statutes for quite a a large degree of using callable capital. So those would be the reasons that I see, but I I must also say that we've been welcomed by MDBs as well. I just had a panel session uh, two days ago with the Audit and Risk Committee of the Asian Development Bank. From their invitation, they brought all the other board members. They asked me to present the main recommendations of the report. We had a dialogue with them. They invited the G20 Indonesia presidency, Uh, Pak Shukani was there. They brought the uh, IFI Working Group Co-Chair, so Byung-Shik was there. And they had a total discussion around our report. So I would say that the MDBs are inviting us now to talk about the report. And that's a very welcome opportunity and we think we could do a lot more of that so i'll stop here in the interest of time
6: thank you thank you very much franny that's very encouraging actually with the the way you uh talked about the last point there um so i just want to use the next uh, 10 minutes that we have before we conclude to focus on the way forward and uh you know, what we have seen with previous reports that have looked at reforming international institutions, and you know, I was involved a little bit in the uh, eminent persons group that looked at the MDBs. you remember, and IFIs a, a few years ago, um, is that there's a little bit of a high point when the report comes out. There's a lot of discussion of it. There's good intentions to implement it. And then over time, the energy just sort of dissipates and the shareholders get distracted. They go off and do other things and, and other crises come up for them. And, and the institutions go back to sort of what they're most comfortable with, which is some innovation, but not quite as much as you'd like. And the people who put together the report go back to doing their day job. You know? and, and I want to get a sense from uh, you, how do we make sure this doesn't happen this time around? So perhaps I want to start very, very quickly. Pak Wempe, you you are in the chair. What's your plan of taking these results forward? Then i to come to Raj, because Raj, you, you have really thought a lot about implementation of, of new ideas uh, and then come to the other two panelists after that. So uh, Pak Wempe. Thank you. Thank you, Masood. Actually,
7: you're right in terms of this uh, This report, of course, we see that uh, uh, we do need a consultation within the MDBs and the shareholders, as well as other interested stakeholders. In this case, I would like to uh, propose uh, a set of communication strategies. It is not uh, a one-size-fits-all strategy, but it seems that, as Franny has indicated, that we need a more robust and very clear uh, communication between uh, MDBs, and try to uh, promote a more coordinated approach and to synchronize uh, for the next steps. The second day actually, this is regarding the incentives. When we see, uh, for example, on the uh, the last high-level independent panels on the health issues, then we try to continue within our presidency uh, with the support for, uh, with our Italian colleagues uh, on this uh, global uh, recommendation, on the fifth, on the health, uh, global health architecture, there is a set of a very, uh, what you call it, maybe I would like to uh, mention uh, above the line and below the line, uh, bilateral consultation between members. It seems that we understand clearly uh, who, is, uh, who is who, is the main uh, players, uh, let's say between G20s and the rest of the world. That is why when we try to communicate our uh, uh, goals uh, in pursuing, uh, for example, the global health architecture, these bilateral consultations uh, with very blunt communications and what is uh, is in it for them uh, to pursue these proposals. This is very clear. Uh, and also uh, they need uh, the so-called uh, support from uh, other members to uh, pursue these very important uh, uh, goals. Uh, and this uh, part, uh, Masud, actually, as a presidency, we uh, recommend uh, uh, the next step of this report, especially how to pursue the, the, uh, the roadmap. Of course, we'll consider the IFA Working Group, which to be uh, made in Seoul in 22nd, 23rd of September, where uh, they will discuss the next steps for the G20 following the publication of the CAF review uh, report. And uh, from our presidency perspective, and given the scale of the uh, recommendation from the review, we think that it would be appropriate for the G20 AIFA Working Group to develop a detailed roadmap on the multi-year inter- implementation of the, review, uh, of the review recommendations, including tangible actions to be taken. So this is, uh, uh, I'll stop there and offer it to you. Thank you.
6: Thank you very much. Yep, I la- the bilateral conversations were key in advancing the, the follow-up to the HLIP on pandemic preparedness, as you said. Uh, uh, Raj, what, what's your advice on, on how to take this
9: forward? Well, I have to tell you, it, it's perhaps aligned with and uh, and additional to what we've been discussing here. I think we have to look at the moment we're in. Uh, the last time we faced a food, fuel, and financial crisis at this magnitude throughout the emerging world, we saw it was 2007-8 in that window, and we saw 48 major instances of instability and extraordinary instances of migration, particularly from Africa to Europe, but also much more broadly around the world. And the reactions created a destabilization of our politics that we're even dealing with the the consequences of today. In reality, as we look out for the next 18 to 24 months, we see real debt crises in many more countries than Sri Lanka. We see food crises that are pushing hundreds of millions of people into vulnerability and literally unwinding decades of progress on even something as urgent as childhood wasting, going from 50 up to 60 million kids, which is an extraordinary setback for our planet and its instability and its stability. And we see a fuel crisis that is uh, ongoing and will continue to be ongoing. Uh, for a variety of reasons that you all understand very, very well. Either global political leaders see the consequences of these crises and and what's happening in the emerging world as politically important or not. If we continue to think of it as not politically important, then we'll just do more of what we're doing today. Uh, The option, though, is to help people see how critical it is that we fight climate change together, that we extend a different kind of collaboration and financial partnership with countries across the world, that we prioritize stability and not just deal with the consequences of instability, and we make much bigger political investments today. I don't think any of the recommendations here are costless. I think they all have some either financial or political cost to implement. But that said, we need the G20 at the leader level to come together and make a strong statement about the urgency with which we have to address this crisis. We need leaders to gather in COP and be held accountable for the fact that for more than a decade, you have not seen meaningful net transfers from wealthier to less wealthy countries to deal with the consequences of climate change. We need, we cannot let another G7 go by and major elections go by as countries just do less and less and less in the context of global cooperation. So to me, this is about 18 months of real political work to help leaders be held accountable to the basic idea that was founded in sort of the Atlantic Charter and the beginning of the Bretton Woods system, which is we're either in in this together or we're not. And that's a question that can only be answered at a leadership level. I think when it is, then the shareholders of these banking institutions can be more ambitious on behalf of the institutions they govern, but it has to happen in the context of a change in our political mindset at the highest level and right now.
6: Thank you very much, Raj. I think that's, thank you for bringing us back to the the, both the, the politics of it, but also the fact that it's really at the level of leaders who are both probably best placed and most responsible for seeing the longer term consequences of inaction if you don't pay the costs that need to be paid now we'll be paying much larger costs later I think that's I want to Maria any last thoughts from you and then I'll finish up with sane and turn it back to Sarah
10: thank you very much would we'll be very quick I think the sense of urgency is, is, is really important here. And uh, and also uh, on the technical space, uh, the, the feedback from the great agencies as well is going to be crucial. Once uh, we have that feedback, probably uh, we can go into an implementation mode uh, depending on what each country agrees or not.
8: Thank you very much.
6: Thank you very much for joining. Uh, um
8: Masoud, I feel that what Raj said on the political will is really really key right now and we just heard from Wempi also the g20 if i could sort of separate the recommendations into three categories there is sort of the political um will that is needed at the time while the multilateral but the uh, sh- big shareholders of um, these institutions have said they want to actually put in less into these institutions and put less in general into aid and and Whatever they're doing to do it more bilaterally than multilaterally. So it's a very, very important political window, as Raj said, to get support and go back to the shareholders, take these five recommendations and say, these three things are the things we need from you actually to agree to. For example, on callable capital, which, by the way, we also have to be incredibly careful because some of the recommendations. Uh, We'll we'll need to look at the the details because the devil is in the details. For example, call capital can be only called to meet IBRD's obligations for funds borrowed, not for making loans and things like that. So we need to go into detail, get that support from the shareholders on the few things that are in the report. The second thing I would do is go similarly to the rating agencies, put them around the table, have a conversation with them, be very real As to, you know, if we give you this data, if we give you this granular data, if we have the three of you talk to each other, let's move to a very different way of looking at things. And talking to, for example, the current treasurer of the World Bank, Jorge and others, other treasurers and other finance um, heads of these multilaterals, I would bring them into that conversation at this time because we have some of the best leaders of finance sitting in these multilaterals. And as I said, like Jorge could be a really great ally in that. Um, then there is sort of the private sector part of things in terms of how do we leverage um, and the recommendations as well as the halo effect. But I would then have sort of a separate group of people sit down on that. But I would do the political, I would do the rating agencies, and I would do the um, the private public um, work together as the next stage of this.
6: Thank you very much, Afsaneh. Thank you all of the panelists. So some of the questions that came in online, I've woven into what I've asked you. There are a couple of others which are more technical and what we'll do is send them to the panelists and, and ask for your responses later and, and uh, make, post a summary of that uh, so that people who did send in questions get answers. I do, do just want to say before I hand over to Sarah, I really think that this is sterling uh, work that has been done. And of course, you know we have to go through the next steps and some of the stuff will be hard, harder to implement. Maybe some things will need to be modified, but it's a window, not just for the reasons that Raj, you have so eloquently expressed, but it is also a window that if we don't take action and, or we do one or two small things and declare victory, then the energy gets dissipated and we will not return to this topic for some time to come. So I think we really have to use the next 18 months to do a breakthrough in terms of the way we think about the balance sheet optimization part of the MDBs. And I want to say that what Nancy said is very important to me, which is, this is not an alternative to ensuring they have the additional shareholder support and capital that they need. This is a part of the package that will make sure they can make the case for additional capital by demonstrating that they are using the capital that they have in the most effective way. So it is a, it is a win-win, not an either-or. And, and that's important to just get out on the table from my perspective, at least for now. So I want to thank all of you for, for your terrific uh, uh, contributions and insights. And I want to turn it back to Sarah to close it out.
0: Thank you very much, Masoud. We are at times, so I'll be very brief. I just want to reinforce what you just said. And you know, a number of, of others have, have stressed that The next few months will be critical to turn the recommendations of the report into action. And I think it's incumbent on all of us to push leaders to do so. So we all have a role to play in this. Uh, But with that, I want to um, join you in thanking our discussants, the panel members, and all the very many people who joined us online. And I also want to add some very special thanks for someone you haven't seen on screen, a lot of the work, if not most of the work, to organize the events and make it happen. That's Annalisa Pridzon, our Senior Research Fellow at ODI. Um, the recording of the event will be available on the ODI and the CGD websites in the next couple of days. In the meantime, have a good day, and goodbye. Ooh.